0: Have you wondered if you're in a toxic friendship? Are the dynamics the same as they are for a romantic relationship? In this episode, Tara and I are gonna tackle the impact of toxic social relationships on our mental health. And in today's self-help tip, you're gonna learn a great way to manage interpersonal boundaries by using a hula hoop of all things. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, where we talk about Strategies, tips, and tricks on navigating and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie McAvoy, a mental health clinician with over 20 years' experience and author of Love You More, a graphic inside look at my experience of a toxic relationship. And I'm your other co host, Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach and be survivor,
1: and author of Reclaim and Recover, Heal from Toxic Relationships with a seven step
0: guided journal. few years ago, right after I got out of that toxic relationship, I moved to where I live now, to Austin, and I knew absolutely no one. So here I am in a new town knowing no one and desperate to make a relationship. And I was out at the pool because that's how I love to work out. And there was a woman that was sitting there that seemed, you know, she was a pretty attractive woman. Yeah, I could tell she's maybe a decade younger than me or so. And we struck up this great conversation and we ended up developing a relationship that seemed really great. I was so thrilled to have met somebody because I truly had no contacts outside of my sons. And and then it was kind of iffy with my kids. So I was just feeling just, just no relationships. I noticed when I was getting to know her that she loved to talk about herself, really wasn't very interested in what I had to say, dominated the conversation. But she had some truly difficult issues. She had a serious medical condition that would put her into the hospital. And so I understood that. I mean, my own son was facing some pretty serious medical issues. So I understood that there's a lot of intensity around that, a lot of focus around that. And then she did this other really fantastic thing. She started including me with her friend groups. We would go out like once a month to dinner and I got to meet these other women my age and had a fabulous time. And this was the period of time when I was writing the book and I was trying to make sense of what was happening. So it was on my mind and I was talking a lot about it because... I was probably trauma dumping, to be honest with you, but that's where I was at at the moment. And uh, I thought things were fine. And then the pandemic struck and and I don't know what set it off, but she called me one day and she worked as a nurse and she proceeded to unload on me, like with all sorts of judgments about how she thought of my dating life, just unloaded. I'll never forget one of the things she said, and I shouldn't have listened for an hour long, but I was nice because I just didn't want to like hang up. Because she wouldn't hardly take a breath. It's one of those conversations where you're just being garaged by this person. It's all this intensity. And I'll never forget one of the things she said. And thank God she didn't have this position so it wouldn't have happened. And she said, if I was an ER nurse and you came in with COVID, I would triage you as not priority for a ventilator. Wow. I was blown away. And then she said, you're making a fool out of yourself with way you're talking about the relationship. Everybody has rough relationships. Your situation was not that special or not that different than anybody else's. And you're making a fool out of yourself. And I want to protect you from that by telling you you need to stop Mm. doing that. You know what? She called me back the next day and started up on me again. And fortunately, I talked to another friend I'd met through writing group who said, why didn't you just hang up on her? You need to hang up. And so that second time I hung up. But I'll tell you, one of the things I've come to realize, and I'd love to know what you think about this, is that. Spotting female narcissists and spotting friends who are narcissists, I think, sometimes is harder than it is to spot in a romantic partner. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think
1: I would probably agree, just because a lot of us who talk about narcissism in general just tend to focus on the romantic relationships. So I think we may be, we're sort of primed to, oh, I need to look for these kinds of things in my romantic relationships. But we don't necessarily apply that same thinking to these other relationships. It's funny. I was thinking about another friend, a friendship that I had that was very similar to yours. It was during a similar point in my life as as well. And it's funny because this person also ended up being a nurse, which is nothing to say about the profession. But I was like, what a weird coincidence. And she was an ER nurse. I had become friends with her shortly before I left my first husband. And I just was in a really vulnerable, bad place. And I really appreciated the ways in which I realized later that she was controlling. At the time, I just didn't know what to do. I felt really overwhelmed and scared. And so for someone to tell me, you should buy a new pair of jeans, or you should dress this certain way, or these kinds of things, was actually really helpful at the time. Because I was getting into dating. I hadn't dated in 10 years. I didn't know what I was doing. So to have someone step in and be like, oh, let's get you some makeup. Let's let's do these things. But then I realized later that she would make these really critical statements about things that I would wear. She'd be like, why are you wearing that? Or I bought you those earrings as a gift. Why didn't you wear them to our dinner tonight? Or I dressed up nice. Why didn't you? Which, if a romantic partner had said those things to me, I would have been horrified. But because it was a friendship, I immediately took it on as Oh, she's right. I I need to I need to take care of myself better. But it became the worst when I started actually dating and found and met the man that I'm now married to. She was very against this relationship from really the get go. It was also surprising to me at the time because she had a pattern of dating is really too strong of a word, but being with men who were married, and there was like this this sense that. There was these responses that I would get to me dating and trying to get a long-term relationship So that sort of implied that maybe I should be doing what she was doing. And I I wasn't judgmental. Like, that's, that's something you get to choose to do with your life, but it's not something I wanted to do with mine. Right, right. But her comments and criticisms and subtle jabs and ways of controlling were different, I think, than if I had been in a romantic relationship with someone who had said those things. But it didn't mean anything. It was any less impactful. I, I remember feeling like I needed to get dressed a very particular way before we would hang out. And I'd be looking at myself in the mirror and be like, you know, would she like this outfit? And do I look nice? And that sort of level of self-criticism. And, I don't know. And it it really wasn't, at the end of the day, her, her ideas, her thoughts, or her whatever, were really to make me look more like her. You know what I mean? And that's not who I am as a person. She wore a lot of really big jewelry. I don't really do that. Things like that, that were trying to shape me into a person that I'm not. And any attempts that I had to sort of individuate and be more myself, I would deal with this criticism from her and these little jabs that just didn't, it didn't feel good and I didn't like it. And that relationship did end up ending When I chose to get serious with my now partner, and she just was not honoring boundaries. I would say over and over again of like, I will not continue conversations with you if you're going to continue to attack my partner. And she just wouldn't stop.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, mine didn't either. In fact, after that second call, she sent me this long, huge email. And you you love this because, again, we talk about this romantic partners, how they do this, but we don't talk about how it happens with friends and family. She then made it that she was distancing herself from me Mm. instead of me, the (laughs) one thing. the (laughs) she was my The same thing. I'm take a break from you. You have some issues to work out, and then I might think about having a relationship with you down the road. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, no, dude, you're out of my life forever. Trust me, if this is done, and I'm the one that's blocking you. That was the exact same thing. I get carried. Did we live the same life? But I think that comes back to the fact that they have an MO. But it's it's right. fascinating because lately I started talking about. Now I don't want to just make this about women because we want to talk about families and friends who do this too. But I am thinking that today is probably going to be more about women who do this, female relatives and maybe mothers as well as female friends. But what I've noticed is that if you think about it, the number of people who complain about narcissistic moms, I hear that a lot on on social media, but I don't hear us talking about girlfriends and friends and sisters and daughter-in-laws and other types of relationships of women because When you look at the stats of narcissism between men and women, yes, men lead slightly ahead. But women aren't that far off. It's not quite one-to-one, but it's close. So where are all of them? What they just can't, they just don't suddenly (laughs) you become a mom and you become narcissistic, right? I mean, it's not quite that simple. So it's interesting how we're blind to that dynamic when it's occurring in our day-to-day life. But here's the other thing I noticed is that it certainly happened to me that I had been prone to attracting narcissistic people into my life and that they tend to fill all different roles in my life, not just who I end up romantically in, in a relationship with, but they also end up occupying other spaces so that when I ended that last relationship, I had to clean house. I mean, I literally had to like stand back and say, "Okay, what does it look like when it's a friend? What does it look like when it's a relative? And realize that none of it, just like you said, all of it has the same profound impact on our identities. It, it erodes our confidence, it makes us insecure. It makes us question our reality, question ourselves. I mean, that to have someone to erode ourselves is never a good thing, no matter who they are. That was actually what I was going to mention was the idea of this
1: cleaning house. That has been the case. It was absolutely the case for me, and it has been the case for nearly every client I've worked with who has left a toxic, abusive, narcissistic partner is that when that relationship ends and they get into a healing process, they start realizing that the relationships that they had outside of their romantic relationships also were problematic, usually in similar ways, but sometimes in different ways, but very problematic. And that when they start healing and growing, what they see a lot is that those relationships end up getting left behind. That was absolutely my experience is when I left that ex, I had several friendships that ended up ending or either my choice or their choice, family relationships that ended because I was no longer the person, as I got healed and was healing and getting better, I I wasn't someone they could manipulate as well or as easily anymore. And that level of tussle and pushback and the fact that I was holding boundaries and ending conversations, some of those relationships just naturally ended because of that. And other times,
0: I, I just was fed up and I was done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same for me, too. I realized I really had to assess relationships and to learn to recognize there because there's some arrogance on my part. Here's here was my thinking. I mean, I'm not clueless to narcissism. I learned about it in graduate school when I was 24 years old. So I recognize it when I meet it and see it in other people. But I had the arrogance to think, oh, they're just a friend. I'll just do fun things with them and then that won't impact me. It's not like I'm coning on them to help raise kids, or I'm p- combining finances or running a household with them, i will just keep them over in this corner of my life and somehow that will be safe. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. I had to accept that unsafe people are unsafe all the time. It's, it's not something that I have that kind of control over. So, so part of it was for me to recognize my pride around that issue and to be more realistic about it. But I think the other thing is, is that and, and this is the hard part. There's a lot of unhealthy people. There's just a lot of unhealthy people. And so that means then that there's not a lot of to choose from, to have rich relationships, you know, that I have to be pretty careful and selective and be okay with the fact that learning to be on my own more than maybe that I necessarily want to be. So I don't know. Did you feel more isolated when you started to get a little more careful about who you led into your life? Yes. And I honestly, I think that was
1: why... Those friend and family relationships were so difficult because we so often say, it's okay if I don't have a romantic partner because at least I have my friends and family. But then when you look at it and you realize, oh, all of my friends and family members are as dysfunctional as my relationship with my former partner and I'm trying to get healthier and they are in a lot of ways not okay with that, pushing back, not honoring boundaries, it can make us feel stuck and powerless again. That's definitely how I felt is when I was having to decide, am I going to be OK being alone? What would be truly alone? I don't know if cleaning house is the term. I, I kind of felt like my wife kind of blew up, like my marriage ended, friendships, family relationships all kind of blew up really back to back. And I was having to decide, like, can I be OK with being alone and I I had to make that decision for myself and for my children of, of really it was what was best. Like I didn't really have to work on that self-talk that it's, it's okay if I'm alone and it, I can learn to enjoy being with myself and I'm lovable. And just because I don't have any relationships right now doesn't mean I'm not going to have them in the future. And as someone who struggles and struggled so much with codependency that For those of us with codependency, being alone is like our greatest fear. We want to avoid that at all costs, having to work against that, that fear of being abandoned and how that somehow reflected on my own self-worth. But in the space I'm at today, what I did is clearing out that garbage, made space for some really awesome relationships that I have today. And I wouldn't have had that space before if I still was,
0: was staying and trying to set boundaries to make these unsafe relationships safe. That's such a great point. That really is a great point. That it's easy to fall into the scarcity mindset to think that yes. this is going to be this way for forever. I I did this at the same time the pandemic hit, and I work from home mm-hmm. for myself. So here I'm living alone. I'm now isolated to my house. I can't even go to the pool to work out or to the gym to work. Out. I'm literally isolated to my little studio, and. My relationships are all gone and I'm thousands of miles from any extended family. I was so alone that one day a iron from the top of a dryer, because I have a double stack dryer, fell and it missed my head. And I realized that if it hit my head and I went unconscious, I don't know how long would have taken for anyone to know something bad happened to me. That's how alone I was. It probably would be days. And so it's sort of like a startling realization to 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 know that no nobody would even miss me for it, di- But what I discovered was, and here's how I faced that fear, because honestly, terror for me, I, I don't see myself as necessarily codependent, but as autistic person who's always felt like on the outside of things and struggled with a lot of isolation as a teenager and a child. Yeah, I feared it too because it felt like some kind of um. Mm, I knew I could survive myself, but it just felt like this, I don't know, almost this, I can't describe it, this anxiety, this horrible anxiety. But what I would do is I would say to myself, are you doing okay with yourself right now? Is this a good moment? Are you doing things that you enjoy? Yeah, I, I, I was writing at the time and I was, you know, catching up on things that I'd missed on TV that I, when I was out of the country and didn't get to watch. I mean, it was sort of like getting to kind of control my schedule and eat what I want to eat and all of that, i moved into learning how to enjoy that and enjoy those moments with myself and realizing that there was a sufficiency in that. There was pleasure in that. And that I'd not, yeah, I've always spent a lot of time in my own thoughts, so that wasn't anything new, but I learned to enjoy my presence. And I know that sounds like, how can you not do that? But it's amazing how we aren't really taught to do that growing up, but it helped me so that then I knew that I was enough But you're right. If you're managing all these relationships, and let's be honest, they're a lot of work. Mm. Toxic relationships are a lot of work. I think about like around the holidays, and I know I talked about that just before the Christmas I had on episode 69. We talked about how families, toxic families are notorious for throwing wrenches into things. You have to then deal with every possible conflict that comes up. They want things this way or no, the kids can't play that way or no, they won't vacation this way. I mean, you have all this stuff you're trying to navigate and that takes up a lot of mental and actual time and space and energy. So how cool yes. that, I, I just love that you brought that up, that it does create more space in our lives. That's a hopeful thing. And in your space and how I learned to call it later and when I talk about
1: with clients is that it gives you an opportunity to redirect that energy. Because it sounds like when you had that freedom that time. You could redirect that energy into things that you cared and, and valued. I saw it as a discovery phase. I started biking every day outside and realized that I really liked activities that were done outside. And it seemed so stupid. I was like, I'm in my 30s and I didn't know that I liked being outside. But I, I was especially just being codependent and in really unhealthy relationships with people who are controlling. I tended to do whatever activities my partners or friends wanted to do And really didn't give a lot of thought into do I like this kind of activity because I I was so intent on not being alone that whatever they suggested I was going to be down for, even if I didn't really like it. I didn't discover until I was in, in my 30s that I really hate concerts. I don't like loud music and I don't like crowds. It was good that I learned all those things, you know what I mean? So I I could really know that more about myself. And I had that opportunity and that time to learn
0: that about myself. And you know, the other thing, it narcissistically toxic relationship proofed you for future relationships. The same for me, too. Once I began to own and enjoy my presence, and I I almost think about narcissistic relationships want you to be small. They want you to be tiny, less, quieter. Uh, They constrict you. But when you begin to be yourself and you enjoy learning how to still that space, then the next time someone starts to put pressure on you to be less, you're like, no, 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 I'm not so interested in that anymore. And I think that's good because that helps us then recognize it. If We can learn to say, oh, yeah, they're kind of putting down what I watch or what I would like to do. I don't really want them dictating that about me, that we can be able to spot the signs earlier and faster.
1: I think, too, that... Being able to enjoy ourselves also means that we're better able to set those boundaries because really the worst case scenario when you set a boundary is that you no longer see that person anymore. You know, they're violating that boundary so they don't get the pleasure of your company anymore. I for so long wouldn't I might set a boundary, but I definitely wouldn't enforce it because I was so terrified of being abandoned, being left alone. And that's the counterintuitive thing is that in order to be able to have healthy relationships, we also have to be okay with that relationship not being there anymore. Being able to say, like, I'm not willing to tolerate this behavior and you you don't get the pleasure of hanging out with me if this behavior continues.
0: Right. And it's only possible when you know that you're okay. When you really come to enjoy yourself, then that becomes an easier limit to set. I know that that's why I didn't set those limits for exact same reasons that you didn't set the limits, because I was afraid. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be liked. I needed them to kind of prop me up, make sure say that I'm okay, so that I knew that I was okay. But once I knew that I was okay and didn't need that, then it made all of that much easier to set limits around. I'm also really
1: glad for our friendship. I'm certain you've been called a narcissist before. I've been called a narcissist before. So it's nice that we can be friends with each other. (laughs) <laughs> oh, very rarely, but usually and usually I get spots with people who are angry with me. I've triggered them. I say that jokingly, but it's the whole like someone who is. I mean, those projectors, like they realize that they are abusive or whatever. So they're going to like project it onto you and say that. you I know. But I I agree with you.
0: I'm so thankful for our relationship. It's You're like, like you, which is pretty great. Yeah, thank you. So how cool. I thought we were going to go in one direction about friends and we ended up talking about how to survive these relationships and become more. I love the direction we took with this today. That was really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I don't think enough people talk about that. How. Yeah. How we get there and what that can look like and how it's not such a bad thing to have that
0: have that space. It isn't. It isn't. I say that's been the silver lining of the COVID pandemic and gave me the gift of myself.
1: I like that it's actually a good segue since we were talking about boundaries in general but the way i teach boundaries with clients and what was taught to me years ago by a really good therapist of mine was the idea that our boundaries are what we can control so we are not used or abused so the theory or metaphor that my therapist used years ago was the hula hoop theory, the idea that you have a hula hoop around yourself, you can see it, you can feel it, you know where it begins, and it's around you in sort of small location, okay? But you can see it, you can see other people's hula hoops around them themselves. So boundaries are the things that you can control, the things that are within your hula hoop. Okay. And you also cannot drop your hula hoop and get into someone else's because that's a boundary violation. The same deal, too, is if they try to get into your hula hoop, that's another boundary violation. But it's sort of a different way to visualize your boundaries and how you set them. Because there may be times where you think you're setting a boundary, but in actuality, you're making a request or you're trying to make a rule. Boundaries have to be only what you can control within your hula hoop. So for a lot of us, that might be our our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, our desires, the things that we say, our feelings. Those are what we can set boundaries around. We cannot set boundaries around our partner's actions, our partner's thoughts, etc. But we can choose to, to tolerate things or not. So, for example, if if my boundary is that I'm not going to participate in conversations where there's yelling, I'm very clear about what I am defining which is, it's not that my partner can't yell at me. My partner can yell at me all that they want, but I don't have to stay there and take it. I can not yell back, and I can remove myself from the situation. That's how it, how the boundary works for us. And I think that hula hoop gives us a good reminder to stay within, to stay within. I, I don't know about you, Carrie, but I have really struggled with violating other people's boundaries because if I, I thought if I could change or control their behavior, then I would feel safe or I would feel comfortable. We've got to stay in
0: our own hula loop. I love that because it. this is the toughest part about boundaries is to identify what you actually can control and what you can't. And you're right. Most of us externalize our control and try to control our environment. We want our environment to be safe so we feel safe. So we want people not to yell at us so we feel safe. Or we want people to behave whatever. We kind of think about the behavior we want them to do differently, which will make us feel better. But you're right. We don't have control over that. That actually makes us weak when we try to control it. We control over is whether or not we stay in the room when they're yelling or whether or not we stay in the relationship with somebody who doesn't stop using bad names or cussing us out. Those are the things we have control over. So I love the holy Loop is a really great way to visualize that because it's a hard thing to imagine. So this is a fantastic idea. I really, really love it. I actually learned it at a couple's
1: retreat with my ex husband years and years ago. And we both had to stand around with our hula hoops around ourselves. Okay. So if you need a physical reminder, go buy a hula hoop and go buy a
0: hula hoop. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right. Thank you for that.
1: Have you realized you have a friend or family member that may be narcissistic and or abusive? What has that been like for you? And are you going to buy a hula hoop to help yourself better visualize how to do boundaries? You can let us know by emailing us at hello at with Carrie, If you haven't yet, make sure you follow or subscribe, write us a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, make sure to share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can check me out at Tara.relationshipcoach and Carrie at Carrie McCoy, PhD. We will see you back here next Monday, where we'll be talking about the dark triad personality.